Indeed, good morning. I am Mike Young. I'm the one of three new elders appointed in October, along with David Alexander and David Griffin. And you may be wondering how it is that it came to be that I'm speaking to you this morning. Perhaps you'd like me to pull the curtain back on the machinations of an elders meeting to let you know. Well, there's seven elders, right? Four ongoing elders and the, us three new ones. Well, in the context of the discussion about wanting to have one of the elders, one of the shepherds stand and speak to the congregation about the need for all of us to be involved in, in service and in ministry of the congregation for the health of the body. There's an automatic disadvantage for our, us three new ones because the four quickly outvoted the three and said, well, one of the new guys should do that. Upon which David Alexander, David Griffin immediately said, well, let's have Mike do it. He's the bigger target. So here I am. Well, I just met. But I do want to call upon you this morning uh, to imagine. And I don't mean to imagine something of a, a quick passing fanciful thought in your mind. I, I want you to employ, I want you to engage your faculty of imagination a God-given capacity, an imagination that has been redeemed in Christ, an imagination that was perhaps uh, disdained through the centuries because of that early passage in Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, and God weary with the evil in men's hearts, saying their every imagination of their thoughts were perpetually turned towards evil. But in Christ, our imagination can be rightly ordered and rightly directed towards him, towards goodness, towards holiness, towards purity. So I, I ask you to engage, seriously, engage your imagination this morning for the purpose of gaining an insight, gaining a truth, gaining a dynamic. Now, I may be stretching a bit, but imagine this. Queen Elizabeth II is coming to the United States on a goodwill tour because of some recent frayed relations. And in this dynamic visit with this young fledgling country, the United States, she wants to come and visit some people, some Americans in their very homes. I want you to imagine how you would react if your home was selected if indeed Queen Elizabeth II, who has been queen for low 65 years, almost as long as I've been alive, and that she's going to come with her entourage in all her formality and her hat <laughs> to come into your house. Imagine, seriously, not only the adrenaline that starts the pump, but what would you do? What would be some of the moves, the actions you would take? Certainly you might want to think about cleaning up, straightening up. You might want to set a bouquet of flowers on the dining room table. You would want to decorate, and you would want to figure out what to do to serve her. But then you get in the dilemma, do I serve the Queen of England, Earl Grey tea? Does that work? How about crumpets? I don't have a recipe. But there is this urge to want to serve her something, right? She and her entourage with her. To be 
properly receiving her, to be a host, to be kind and generous for the gift, if you will, of her coming to be with you. But imagine, too, this impulse to to want to give, to hand over, is something we do as human beings. There is a naturalness to it. We can go all the way back again to Genesis, and we see Cain and Abel, after a time being thrown out of the garden in this new life, apart from it, in this scarred context of the sin infecting the world and in them, but they have this urge, this desire to give something to God. Cain gives fruit from the ground. Abel gives a firstling from his flock. Now we know there's some problems here in that Cain's offering was not acceptable or fully received like Abel's was. Now there's multiple possible reasons for that. One, maybe God just simply reading their hearts, that Cain wasn't really truly being a giver in this context. Or there's a play on his name as well in the Hebrew of Cain, his name, with Kanati, which means the ground or, or tilling or, or um, cultivation, paralleling the word play with Adam, Adama, or Adam is Adam, and then the ground is Adama, which sets up this tension between man and our, and our relationship to the earth. It brings forth thorn and thistles now after sin. Well, that play is probably going on again with with Cain. But whatever the reason, the point is that both had this urge to want to give over something to God. It is a natural inclination. It's simply being, if you will, human. Well, the dynamic here plays out further in the Old Testament. We turn to Exodus chapter 25. And as mentioned this morning, our, in our gift giving, the contribution, here's a scene of a free will offering, the first uh, nine verses. The Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites to take for me an offering from all those hearts prompted uh, by them to give, and you shall receive the offering for me. This is the offering that they shall receive from them. You shall receive from them gold silver, in bronze, blue, purple, crimson yarns, fine linen, goat's hair, tanned ram, skins, fine leather, acacia wood, oil for the lamps, spices for the anointing oil, and for fragrant incense, onks, stones, gems to be set in the ephod for the breastplate, and have them make me a sanctuary so that I may dwell among them in accordance with all that I have shown you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle of all its furniture you shall so make. God's making a mobile home. He's come to dwell in and among the people. And he's asking them out of the goodness of the heart to give something, to prepare, to decorate, to design this tabernacle, this tent of meeting, this point of contact, this point of God dwelling in and among his people. And so they give, and they give generously. They give gems and fine linen and all these goods. They give out of the goodness of their heart because God is coming to be with them. And then it plays out even further. 
moving farther along into the book of Exodus in chapter 29, you have daily offerings being prepared and given. And God promises to meet with the Israelites there in that place. And then chapters 1 through 7 of Leviticus, you have this whole stream of designed givings, sacrifices, offerings to be made. He speaks of burnt offerings, grain offering, well-being offerings, sin offerings, restitution offerings, guilt offerings, all with detailed instructions. A program that lasts the year, around through the year, year after year, of this continual perpetual giving. And in that, God promises to be home with them. The tabernacle home, dwelling with the people and they with God. And to give, to offer up something, again, is, is a kind of a natural impulse. Just, I was teaching a class this last week. Uh, in the college I teach, and and it's on uh, the dialogue of Euthyphro by Plato. Euthyphro is this gentleman who is in conversation with Socrates, the pest that he is, and is asking about what's, what's a pious act, you know, what's a holy act to do, and he describes it roughly, he changes his gears several times because of the drilling by Socrates, but it's along the lines of giving something over to the gods to please them. Of course, the conflict comes because you have so many gods, they want different things, and you don't know which one or which thing to give. We're better off, believe me, with one god. (laughs) But that impulse is trans-historical, trans-humankind. It has always been the case. It has been always the case with all peoples everywhere. To encounter God is to give is to give something over to him. It can be frightening, it can be terrifying, and yet we're drawn to it. And we're drawn to just naturally want to give something over to the the divine. And imagine now that all of this, four centuries has been set up and practiced by the people of Israel. First with the tabernacle, and then it solidified, if you will, by the temple in, in Jerusalem. Offerings, over and over and over again being offered up. This giving continually, perpetually, daily. All of that set up. All of that as preparation for the real intent. Leading up into the New Testament. Leading up to Christ as the ultimate sacrifice. And then because of God's mercies for us then to offer ourselves. Nothing extended from our hands. No object, no point of wealth, no gem, no cloth, no animal sacrifice, but from our hands giving ourselves. We read in Romans 12, kind of the crux of this issue, in which we see Paul calling upon us, appealing to us, pleading with us. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do this because of the mercies that have been extended to you over and over and over again, more numerous than we can count. God has given himself up 
for us through his son, Christ. And it's interesting, the language here, your spiritual worship really is, a re- the old RSV says, your reasonable worship. The actual word is logos or logic. It's logical for you to do this because you have been given so much. You've been extended so much mercy. It is only natural, only logical, only reasonable that in turn, you give yourself over. Now, of course, the issue is on an altar, a living sacrifice has the capacity to kind of wiggle off, right? To kind of slip off the top of that altar piece of which you are to be giving yourself. And we can kind of keep a bit of distance, still close at hand, but enough distance that we are not being given over. Perhaps it is the case that we've encountered things in church life that have hurt or wounded our feelings and we're just not pleased. We're not happy with things. So we kind of, you know, extenuate or extend ourselves away from this giving of ourselves to the program. But in all of our giving, and no matter how simple it is, we are affirmed and confirmed in the New Testament. Jesus telling us in Matthew 10 that, you know, even, even a cup of cold water, just a cup of cold water extended to someone who's come to you in my name, that will not go unrewarded. It will not go undetected by our God. Our giving even of simple things. As, as a believer, as a Christian, as a bearer of God's spirit in our lives, all that we do can be seen and viewed and understood as the extension of ourselves in service to God. Be it at our work, in our households, to strangers, to friends and family, the deeds we do are marked and counted and rewarded because it is us giving ourselves over in the name of Christ in service to him. Even a cup of cold water is noted. And then we have Paul speaking also in in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter chapter 3, verses 5 through 9. He says, so brothers and sisters, he goes on and says, um, behold, I, some say I belong to Paul or to Apollos and so forth. He says, but picking up verse 5, what then is Apollos? And what is Paul? Servants through whom you came to believe as the Lord assigned to each. I planted Apollos water, but God gave the growth. So neither one of you who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. The one who plants and the one who waters, have a common purpose. And that is to each will receive wages according to the labor of each. For we are God's servants working together. You in God's field, you are God's field, you are God's building. You are the place in which God dwells in us individually through the Spirit and then collectively in the body of Christ. And this term he uses, Paul likes this word, sunergoi, Uh, If you play with it a little bit, you can kind of detect the English word of synergy. It is this description of God working with us and through us, and as we work together, it does not go 
without productivity. It does not go without effective results. So we want to set ourselves up working together, but working God with God and God through us to have effective service and ministry in his name for the good of each other and for the good of the world around us. We want to be involved in this synergy with God. And then again in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, he talks about um, how it is that we're really not competent to do anything. Paul even saying that of himself. But it is God's competence of him working through us. He takes our simple acts, our gestures of welcoming or hospitality or a service. He takes those actions and synergistically, if you will, he works with us and through us in that and they are effective because they're done in his name and by his name and competence, not our own. We have a good God that way. We have a God that calls us to sacrifice our very lives, but he blesses us in doing so, rewards us in doing so, making our humble attempts effective. Now, imagining that this God dwells among us, Paul ex- extends the illustration in 1 Corinthians 12 and Ephesians 4 and Romans 12 when he speaks about the whole body of believers coming together, that we're knit and joined together in love, each having their own unique role. Some are more public and visible, others are more hidden and uh, not as visible to the public's eye. But all of us have our niche and role, our part, our bit of sinew in the body. And when the body is fully dynamically working, all are active, then the body's health is able to do this good work for Christ's sake, God working through us and with us. The living, dynamic body built together up in love, serving one another and all those around us, as many as we can reach. Now, you know, asking you to stretch your imagination and imagine Queen Elizabeth II coming to visit your home. I hope a little bit that you detected a sense of urgency a sense of significance of this event. From that, though, I want you to draw upon this truth. Folks, this morning, today, now, here, in and among us, someone greater than a queen of some island is here. It is no one less than the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the great I Am, the burning, consuming fire. It is God Almighty who has chosen to come and dwell in and among us. Isn't it natural? Isn't it a kind of sense of urgency to want to give something, to give something of ourselves to Him who has chosen has decided, has set up this grandiose program for centuries to come and be dwelling among us, even within our own souls. Don't you want to give something to him? What he asks is for all of you, all that you are, not to destroy you, not to let you languish on the altar table, not to let you die as you bleed out. That is not the image. He wants all of you to remake you 
into his image, for us to be participants in his divine nature, as Peter describes, that we take on his very characteristics, we become like unto him. That's what he wants. Who would not want to worship that kind of God? And notice how service and worship are so intricately bound together, inseparable. We ask you this morning to take that list that's in the bulletin of all the different ministries. Please take it home with you and, and pray about it. Look at that list and see if there's some area that's already going on or perhaps still yet needs to be plugged into, if you will, how you might serve in this body here at this place. Serve this God of ours. There may be some other areas that you have a capacity that you have been gifted with that you could serve that you don't see on the list. Come and talk with us. Let us know. But we would ask all of us be whatever role you think you can help and serve in to do so. Make, make that known. We want the body alive for his glory's sake and for all of our lives' sake. Perhaps for some of you, this might be a coming home to God for the very first time. This might be even an encounter with God initially to say, I have the desire, I have the impulse to want to serve him. Let him serve you first by coming to him, confessing your sins, and taking him on in baptism, being given the gift of the Spirit so that he will camp out, he will dwell within you, and you will be his child. You will bear his name, and you'll be part of the body. Or for those who have been in the body for a long time, but perhaps have kind of slipped off the altar of giving yourself to him, be it wounds of the past, disagreements, whatever it may be. You've distanced yourself. Perhaps this morning is a call to come home, perhaps in a way the first time. The poet T.S. Eliot writes this in his four quartets. We shall not cease from exploration. And the end of all of our exploring will be to arrive where we started and know the place for the first time. The call this morning is perhaps to come and know home for the first time again. Come home to dwell in the body of Christ as he even seeks to dwell in you. And let not past wounds or hurts, keep you from this glorious God. And do that which is natural. Do that which all of mankind through all centuries and of all kinds of peoples have had this natural impulse to want to hand something over to God. But be warned, it's nothing less than to give yourself in totality. God demands it, but you're blessed by it. Let your will be known as some of the elders will be standing on the side to receive you or if perhaps again to want to seek to put Christ on for the first time, let us know as we now stand and sing and greet you.